This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Friday, May 14th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's what we're watching today. Making social media safer for the LGBTQ community. Plus, a Palestinian perspective on the Mideast conflict. But first, Biden in the week of crises is today's one big thing. It's been a busy week for national politics, from the Biden administration trying to de-escalate tensions in the Middle East to the GOP ousting Representative Liz Cheney. Axios's managing editor for politics, Margaret Taleb, is here to bring us the highlights. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning, Nyla. Margaret, this week we've seen violence in the Middle East, a pipeline hack that led to gas shortages along the East Coast, all while the Biden administration was hoping they could again focus on infrastructure. How has the Biden administration been handling all of these different crises? By majorly downplaying the risks involved in most of this, in former President Donald Trump's final year, Certainly, he downplayed COVID, and that had enormous consequences for public health, for the economy, for where we are all these months later. Joe Biden, as a candidate, was basically like, we need to just own the problem and admit where things are. But on a series of other issues, he's just consistently sought to downplay the frenzy or the drama around the discussion, whether it's the hacking of a pipeline, whether it's the repercussions of stimulus money that he's going to have to own the consequences of, but how he manages expectations and whether he lets the talk of crisis engulf him is something that he's really grappling with right now. And then, of course, Republicans on the Hill are grappling with what happened this week. Representative Liz Cheney losing her leadership position. How much support does what she represents still exist within the Republican Party? All the polling tells us that the majority of Americans who identify as Republicans or with Republicans are still much more backers of Donald Trump than they are backers of Liz Cheney. But there are a couple of cracks in that foundation. And we saw in our own focus group that Axios does with Engages and Schlesinger, we had a focus group that happened to be convening the night before Liz Cheney was going to be ousted. And so we asked those Trump to Biden swing voters, how do you feel about what's about to happen? Most of them hated the idea of bouncing someone out of leadership just because she dared disagree with the legacy of Donald Trump. But the other reality was most of them didn't even know who Liz Cheney was. So this is all about power and communications. And on the power and communications levers, Donald Trump is still controlling that around the Republican Party right now. Margaret Talavzaxus is Managing Editor for Politics. Thanks, Margaret. Thanks, Nyla. In 15 seconds, why social media is still not safe if you're LGBTQ. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. 
Kayla Boodoo. Welcome back to Axios Today. A new study out this week from one of the largest LGBTQ advocacy groups, GLAAD, found that the five major social media sites, like Facebook and Twitter, are categorically unsafe for LGBTQ people. What we ended up realizing was that if we started grading, they'd all fail, quite frankly. We're looking for real, concrete changes in the next year and thereafter. That's Sarah Kate Ellis, president and CEO of GLAAD. Our own Ina Freed interviewed her for Axios on HBO. Hi, Ina. Hi, Nyla. Ina, how are these social media sites unsafe? Yeah, and I pressed on that because some people hear unsafe and they're like, is the world supposed to be safe? What are we talking about? It's a 50-page report. There's a lot more in it. But the two big things are a high degree of misinformation spreading as well as the likelihood that LGBTQ users will face harassment. And what does GLAD want these companies to do about it? They have a bunch of specific recommendations for each company as well as some broad recommendations for the industry. One thing is to hire more human moderators, have an LGBTQ community liaison so that when people have problems, they know who to reach to, as well as changing the way the algorithms work so that when misinformation is allowed on the platform, when it's not a clear-cut case of something that should be banned, that there's still what they call, you know, circuit breakers in place to keep it from spreading broadly and quickly. How do you think the internet has changed, especially as a place for LGBTQ youth? Well, I think, you know, in the early days, the ability to reach people outside your community was so huge. You know, I remember when I was figuring out I was trans, I was in college in the middle of nowhere in Ohio, and there really weren't other trans people around me, but there was this news group. The web was still nascent. There was this news group, all transgendered, and there I found a community and I talked to other people. So the internet has a long history as being you know, a vital place for people to come out, to get support, to find out what's out there. And I think that's still true today. It's just much harder to avoid the hate. Axios' Ina Freed. You can catch the whole interview by checking out the latest episode of Axios on HBO. Thanks, Ina. Thanks, Nyla. All week, the world has been watching the violence worsen in Israel and Gaza. We started off our coverage on Monday with Axios' Barak Ravid, updating us on the situation from Tel Aviv. Yesterday, we heard from Axios' world editor Dave Lawler with the latest. Today, we wanted to end the week with the perspective from a Palestinian-American analyst, Omar Badar, about what he's seeing with the current U.S. media coverage. I think that there is an improvement in the way that media covers this particular issue, but it's still a very, very long way from being where it needs to be. I think there are a few problems. One is frequently lack of context. You hear a lot about describing what is actually unfolding on the ground, but without actually knowing the the full setup. So in the case of a place like East Jerusalem, this neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah, where there is this impending expulsion of Palestinians from their neighborhood, Nobody mentions the fact that this is occupied Palestinian territory. So really what we're describing is ethnic cleansing and is a war crime under international law. But when you hear about it as if it's a legal dispute, you miss really the core of what is actually unfolding on the ground. Another problem is with the fact that violence against Palestinians always seems less noteworthy than violence against Israelis. When you look at the footage in Jerusalem of Israeli soldiers 
armed going into Palestinian places of worship and beating up unarmed demonstrators, really brutalizing them. And those videos are just littering social media, yet they get very little attention. And another really common one is a lack of, of adequate chronology in describing what is actually happening. Palestinian violence is always described as the starting point, and Israeli violence is always described as a response, no matter what's actually unfolding on the ground. Why do you think words matter so much when it comes to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Words matter because they shape perceptions of what is actually unfolding. There is this sense perpetuated by our political establishment and the media reflects that to some extent, that Israel is America's ally and the Israelis are like us and Palestinians are the other. But I think it's really important to pay attention to the recent Human Rights Watch report that just came out a couple of weeks ago before this violence spiraled, insisting and describing in great detail that Israel was imposing a system of apartheid on Palestinians from the river to the sea. And there is just a significant imbalance of power on the ground that you never see conveyed. Omar Badar is a Palestinian-American political analyst. You can find more context and updates from the region at Axios.com. Before we end today, we're marking the one-year anniversary of Axios's weekly COVID map tracking cases across the country. The takeaway from this week, America is finally winning the fight against COVID-19. New cases decreased in 37 states. Not one state saw increases. What a difference a year makes. And one last piece of good coronavirus news for your weekend. The CDC says fully vaccinated people don't have to wear masks or socially distance indoors. Axios Today is brought to you by Axios and Pushkin Industries. We're produced by Alexandra Boti, Justin Kaufman, Nuria Marquez-Martinez, Sabina Singani, Naomi Shaven, and Amy Padula. Our sound engineer is Alex Sugiyara. Dan Bobkoff is our executive producer, and Sarah Kehlani-Gu is our executive editor. As always, special thanks to Axios co-founder Mike Allen. At Pushkin, our executive producers are Lital Malad and Jacob Weisberg. I'm Nyla Boudou. Have the best weekend. <laughs> 